1: Welcome to Deconstructed, I'm Ryan Grimm. A new film on the fight for a Green New Deal hit theaters on Friday, and it comes from director Rachel Lears, who you may remember from the Netflix documentary Knock Down the House, which followed four incredibly long shot working class candidates for Congress. Two of them were named Cory Bush and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Rachel had no reason to think she was following around two future members of Congress, but that's exactly what she ended up doing. Knock Down the House came out in 2019 and was met with widespread critical acclaim all of which inspired Rachel to pursue her subject matter further in a follow-up film, this one called To The End. I met Rachel while we were both covering the original AOC campaign against Joe Crowley, and I helped out with this new one as a consulting producer, which was my first experience in film of any sort. To The End focuses on the push over the last few years to put climate change at the top of the Biden agenda.
2: Fighting for change politically requires faith. We are building an army of young people to stop the climate crisis and create millions of good jobs for our generation.
1: The film tells the inside story of the activism leading up to the passage of the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, which includes the largest and most significant climate investments in U.S. history. To the End focuses on the stories of four women at the heart of those political and organizing efforts. AOC, Sunrise's Varshini Prakash, climate policy writer Rihanna Gunright and Alexandra Rojas, head of Justice Democrats. To the End's director, Rachel Lears, joins me now. Rachel, welcome to Deconstructed.
2: Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: So this new documentary, uh, To the End, kind of flowed out of your your last one um, called called Knock Down the House. To start with that one for a minute, can you give us a an idea of how you came up with the the project, like the idea of following around Four different ones. I I assume a lot of our listeners have have seen Knockdown the House that's the one that was about Corey Bush and and AOC Paul Jean Swearingen it was Amy Valella was the mm-hmm. was the fourth candidate so how how did you pick those women and and what what inspired you to make that film
2: Yeah the idea for Knockdown the House actually came about the day after the 2016 election I had been planning on taking a little bit of a break from political filmmaking. I had uh, a baby who was eight months old at the time, but decided after that election to go ahead and continue uh, engaging with political organizing uh, by following stories related to politics. And um, I had heard about the project that, that was then called Brand New Congress, which you know, became affiliated with Justice Democrats for a time until they split into separate organizations. But this whole idea of recruiting what they called extraordinary ordinary people to run for Congress. So I reached out to some of those organizers and convinced them to let me come film their early retreats with candidates and uh, connect me with candidates. And and through those early shoots and interviews, I, I interviewed probably around 25 candidates and potential candidates and decided for many reasons to focus on on the ones that, that we followed and knocked Down the House. I mean, primarily, yeah, we were looking for people that were going to be compelling to watch win or lose, because we knew there was a very high chance that even all four of, of the candidates would lose. And of course, as everybody now knows, in 2018, the year we were filming, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won her primary in this huge upset. And uh, two years later, Cory Bush won in 2020. <laughs> so now they're both in Congress.
1: And how high a chance did you think they had of, of, of losing? Go, going in, you would think the odds would be that close to 100% that all four of them, that none of them would get really even very close.
2: Yeah, I mean, we definitely knew that was a very distinct possibility, which is why we wanted to make sure that each of their stories would be really revealing something bigger about how politics and power works in the U.S. and all of these different political landscapes where, where each one was based and each one was really confronting a political machine. In her her local, you know, city and state and area, so and all of all of those took different shapes. So we really wanted, through that process of of uh, challenging those established power structures with an insurgent campaign, to to really explore how power works in the United States at that level.
1: And so the next film kind of picks up where the last one left off, following Ocasio-Cortez into office, and then following some of the activists who'd been involved in boosting her campaign. How did you settle on that one? Because it was knocked down the house because all of a sudden one of the candidates ended up winning, and the and another Corey Bush, you know, came close and then did win a couple of years later. All of a sudden, like it's this it's this big hit. You you could choose like a lot of different projects at that point. I would assume. What made you say you wanted to focus on kind of the the Green New Deal next?
2: Yeah, we actually started developing this project before Knockdown the House was even finished. So uh, hmm. in the fall of 2018, we were already speaking with Ocasio-Cortez and her team about the possibility of continuing to film in Congress. And I was really interested in doing something about climate. I, I knew she was going to focus on it, but even apart from, from her interest in it, uh, when that IPCC report came out in October 2018, framing... The uh, need for rapid, far-reaching and unprecedented changes in all aspects of society by the year 2030 framing that as a question of political will that really set off a light bulb for me in the sense that uh, you know I'd been coming off this project that was already looking at how politically impossible things become possible. And I really wanted to explore that that question at a, a broader level around, climate policy? And how could you begin to imagine creating political will for the kind of changes that the scientists were saying was necessary? So that fall, uh, the Sunrise Movement occupied Nancy Pelosi's office with this viral sit-in that representative-elect Ocasio-Cortez attended. And that really kicked off the movement for a Green New Deal in the United States. And, And our project coalesced around some of the main key players behind that push. So by the time Knock Down the House came out in May of 2019, we already had, had been doing shoots for, for this film. for that, that then became to the end, we had the, the four main protagonists locked in. In addition to uh, Ocasio-Cortez, we follow Varshini Prakash, who's the executive director of the Sunrise Movement, Alexandra Rojas, the ED of Justice Democrats, who of course I had also known since 2016 when we started developing uh, Knock Down the House. And Rihanna Gunn-Wright, who is uh, one of the policy architects of the Green New Deal and who was, when we started, at the think tank New Consensus, and now she's uh, climate director of climate policy at the Roosevelt Institute. So all four of them had a really major role to play in this integrated strategy inside and outside of government of trying to push the window of what was considered feasible and and politically possible, appropriate, you know, what, what are the priorities of the Democratic Party and what, what, is, what is within the, the horizon of, of possibility or, around climate and justice, you know, because the whole vision of the Green New Deal, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, is, is, is connecting those intersections between climate and environmental and racial justice. So we wanted to explore how far that would go.
1: And you said you were following the climate movement a lot before, and you've been kind of a fly on the wall now, for a couple of years, what how do you, how would you say, as from your fly's eye view, the climate movement has changed from when you were first observing it to what it's like today?
2: I think it's really remarkable the extent to which the vision of the Green New Deal has come to dominate the way the left talks about climate, and, and, and the way progressive Democrats approach climate. Democrats in general didn't really have a very coherent messaging strategy around climate previously. Certainly, as far as the general public was concerned, even though by the time of you, know, you have 2017, 2018, people are starting to get more and more concerned about the climate crisis. It's still, a, you know, it's a pretty serious majority that believes it's real. Uh, and caused by humans and a huge problem. But there wasn't any real sense of what the solutions would be. I mean, most of the policy discussions were around carbon taxes or cap-and-trade schemes. So this this idea of let's turn this crisis into an opportunity for resolving some of the the crises that we already know we're facing around inequality, that really resonated with a lot of people. And, and it is also, it just happens to be... Uh, The way that it needs to be done in order for that decarbonization to actually be sustainable in a warming world where where these disasters are going to continue to happen. So uh, I've been really astonished to see just how far that messaging has become. You know, originally when when the Green New Deal first came out, there was a lot of backlash and there continues to be on the right uh, as well as from the center. And, and you know, to be honest, from the left as well, you know, there's, there's there's detractors all over the place. But but that that core principle of linking decarbonization, jobs, and justice, you know, that's actually become much more of a a basic way that people talk about climate. Certainly on the in the Democratic Party now, um, and I, I think that's really a testament to the power of this movement.
1: And when when Biden chop down the build back better act down into you know what eventually became the inflation reduction act a huge piece of the climate uh, element that had been in build back better was carried over to ira it was the it was a lot of the other pieces that that fell away and from following these climate activists over those months what was your sense of what their relationship was was like with the white House and? And, and I guess the basic question is, like did the elevation of the Green New Deal and did this work that they were doing? was that pressure campaign the reason that climate was the thing that survived in that, or do you think it would have anyway
2: well i, I, I don't I, I don't know what would have happened if different things had happened, but I, I do <laughs> think the pressure campaign was definitely uh, a huge part of the reason why climate survived. it's actually really interesting uh, the the question about the relationship between Between the the protagonists that we're following in the film and the White House, so that's you have the Sunrise movement on the one hand, you have the uh, you know we're following, Ocasio-Cortez in Congress as part of the the progressive block, so I think there there's not one relationship with the White House going on there. There's 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 a lot going on, and I got the very strong sense that the White House was in touch with Sunrise movement that particularly at the time of the hunger strike, which was in October or November of Mm 2021, when um, some of the big... Negotiations were happening around Build Back Better. There were four Sunrise Movement members hunger striking for two weeks outside, right outside the White House. And I I remember hearing from people and, and, you know, it just didn't work out in the footage to to be in the film. I really wanted this to be in the film, but it just didn't, you know, one of those things that ends up on the cutting room floor. They were speaking with the White House at that time, and and the White House was very concerned. That something would happen uh, to to the health of one of those hunger strikers in a way that would reflect really badly on the administration. So I I know that was a factor in their thinking of, of of keeping climate in that realm of what was not gonna get cut so easily. And you know, of course, the the climate provisions in Build Back Better did get cut as well. They did get that uh, whittled down and changed. But it's true, as you say major other things, you know, universal pre-K stuff mm-hmm. that passed the house affordable uh, housing. in, Oh my God. Yeah. All that stuff just got completely, uh, stripped away. So of course those are tremendous losses, but I think it's also really important to keep an eye on on the continuity between the things that the movements demanded and what stayed in the legislation. And and the role of the progressive caucus and, and the progressive bloc in Congress in, in keeping that in the conversation was huge as well, as I'm sure I know you've covered on, on your show.
1: Yeah. And in, in an earlier version of the documentary, there was a little bit more of an attempt to kind of show the whole... Two-track strategy that the squad and the and the progressive caucus were were engaging in to try to keep the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill together and on and on and on, and it just you know, the the final cut doesn't include as much of that, and I feel like that was probably a good decision. It, it seems like really hard to convey that that let that legislative kind of back and forth in in a way that is watchable in a feature film like what was as an artist like what was it like to try to track that and and yeah, to that, put it on screen
2: that was hands down the most difficult aspect of making this film and I We did try to to keep the the basic contours of that
1: yeah the contours in, are in, in there.
2: the in there um, and and we're going to have a study guide that explains everything so <laughs> if people want to look at uh, how the sausage is made teach it in their classes or what have you you know there there will be some ancillary materials but yeah it's just really I think what we realized is that once you have an ending of something passing, it sort of brings the rest of the story into focus in a way that it wasn't before. Not that the rest of the the earlier cuts were unfocused, but it just, it it becomes possible to streamline it in a different way because you can sort of ask yourself at every point, what does the audience need to know to understand that, you know, when, when major climate policy passes, you know, what, what do they need to understand to get to that point? So so we certainly wanted to acknowledge the, the role of the two-track strategy and the, the fact that the Biden agenda gets split into two parts and there's the progressives are withholding support for the bipartisan infrastructure bill in order to get Build Back Better passed. But when Build Back Better does not pass, it then becomes... You know, Not a distraction, but just a little bit. Like you don't need quite as many mm-hmm. details about Build Back Better when the ending is not Build Back Better passing. I think if Build Back Better had passed, we would have kept much more of that intact and, and even even maybe gone into greater depth with it because that would have been the story of how Build Back Better passed. But that's not what happened. so uh, So we had to shift it around a bit.
1: I want to play a clip uh, real quickly from from to to the end. This is Alexandra Rojas, who's the head of head of Justice Democrats. Which, as you said, she, she was also a co-founder of Brand New Congress that recruited all those candidates and is now. This this clip is her prepping for a, a CNN interview.
2: So, Alexandra, you just saw the recent poll numbers. What do you say to these, you know, poll numbers that show that you guys are too radical for the country? Well, I fundamentally believe, fundamentally, I keep saying fundamentally. Americans are excited about bold action on climate and who their demographic, Demo- What am I trying to say? Why can't I get this out? You're not leaving until you get this right at least once
1: so rachel like as an artist like how do you as a documentarian how how do you get to a place where a subject is that comfortable that they're willing to be that vulnerable in front of a camera when they're clearly also nervous about going in front of a camera it's like kind of an amazing thing to see
2: well i i I guess in this case, it's maybe good practice for her. <laughs> I think hmm. that I think that was partly how how she saw it at the time. But I know, I mean, I had at that point, I had known Alexandra already for several years, and we'd we'd been through the whole uh, everything with uh, ocasio Cortez's campaign and, and everything that happened in twenty eighteen. We'd already been through all of that. That's right. Because um, she
1: joined. She she. Basically joined the campaign full time, pretty much. At the oh end. yeah,
2: she was on the ground full time, and we were we were in the field together. You know, I we, we weren't spending every day together, but like it was. You know, I, I think everybody who was in that campaign really appreciated everyone else who had been there for a long time, and you know, appreciated everyone else who came in at the last minute too. But like there was a certain kind of bonding, I would say, that happened between a, a few of us at that time, and and so it was. I know Alexandra has mentioned that that having been through all, all of that together at that time was what allowed her to, to trust me and let me into those spaces where she was prepping for CNN. And I was really interested in her process of... Having this platform that that she hadn't expected to have, you know, she was hired as the youngest ever pundit on CNN in 2019, and uh, and it was an incredible opportunity for her and her movement to get their ideas into this mainstream space. And part of what is interesting about her story in the film is really watching how she wrestles with that, and what are the what are the ups and downs of of going through that.
1: Yeah, there's another nice scene where she's booked to talk about the climate bill, and then at the last minute, it they they which cable cable always does at the very last minute they switch switch up the topics on you, and you're just expected to go along with it. And she says, you know, like I want to change it back to the original topic, or I'm not going to go on. And the, you hear the producer saying, "Well, okay, see you later," and they just like stand her down and and move on. And it's sort of this moment of uh, her friend says something about, you, you know, you got to know when you've got leverage and when you don't. And and she, you know, she, she tried it and it, and it didn't work. Did you see that as kind of a, was there something metaphorical in that for, for the left? That was a kind of a
2: yeah, yeah. I telling mean, moment. It, it was. And I love that line from Amira Hassan, the political director of JD who says, uh, was something to the effect of it's really hard to know when you have leverage and when you don't and when you have power and how do you best use it and when you're figuring that out in real time. So that is very much the story of the, the second half of the film. And it, I, I think what we set out to explore with this film was really precisely that. What does it look like? What does it feel like? And what happens when a movement of... Outsiders has a couple feet inside the door of the halls of power when you have a few members of Congress that that you've elected that, that really stand with you when when you have a platform like Rojas did uh, at that time on CNN and you know, of course the Green New Deal was exploding and and Varshini Prakash and United gun right were also frequently in the media at that time talking about the Green New Deal so it was just this moment of all of them you know ocasio Cortez at the sort of biggest level, but all of them were experiencing this to some degree, having more power than you ever really imagined you would ever have, but still not enough to fully set the agenda, to fully get everything you want passed, obviously. So so it's very much the rest of the film is is all of them negotiating that in their respective lanes and, and trying to apply leverage where they can at, and also come to terms with the the reality of of not having enough power and in the end i think that's that's what the ira really represents it's on the one hand it represents the power of movements to get a lot of things onto the agenda and get them through and also the continued power of the fossil fuel industry to block so much of that agenda and to get a, a lot of their own uh, points in there as well
1: and it, it's only been Kind of a short four years since you started this, but an enormous amount has happened in that it time. Feels pretty I'm,
2: long to me. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> me too. Um, it Feels like a different world uh, oh gosh, four years yeah. ago, and and I'm curious how how you've seen the world change since since then. The the reaction to the the original film, this film, or the way that kind of the base of support for what was then Justice Democrats and AOC like. Do, how have you how have you seen that evolve over the years?
2: Yeah, I think there's sort of there's sort of two things going on. I, I think on the one hand, a lot of people are really disillusioned now, and and I almost see it as I mean, I don't think we can really overstate the effect on everyone of this ongoing pandemic, and there's just a I think. In a lot of spaces and for a lot of people, and certainly in in some kind of so- some social media circles, there's just a lot of darkness and there's a lot of disillusionment and cynicism and just a sense that like nothing can really happen. Even as all of these things that wouldn't have seemed possible a few years ago are actually happening, um, I think I see a lot of negativity there. So I think it, it's you know maybe in in some cases harder to engage people from that place but at the same time with the the election results this fall you know there's still plenty of people who are engaging young people are coming out climate is still a big motivating issue for a lot of people it's not really getting covered in the news as such that much but i do see stories that that look at it as that 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 show with both various polling and and such that it is a major motivating factor for voters so i think there there is it, it's this this moment and where it sort of feels like winning and losing at the same time and uh i think about the author bill moyers who writes about social movements and and the stages of so that social movements have tended to go through looking at, at various social movements throughout the world throughout the you know recent history and and there is this 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 moment these two stages that sort of tend to happen at the same time where on the one hand your ideas are gaining mainstream traction they're becoming law all of these things are happening all, that that you were fighting for a couple of years ago but at the same time your ideas are getting diluted a lot of things you really care about are not passing and it can it, it doesn't feel like that sort of the 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 momentum of the early stages of the movement kind of blowing up is is clearly not happening right now and you know that's disappointing for for a lot of activists so it can it can you're literally winning and losing at the same time mm-hmm. and and it really can feel disorienting when you're in the middle of it and i almost you know multiple times a day just feel this <laughs> cognitive dissonance this head shift going on about like are we winning are we losing like what is happening um and i i really think it's you you gotta just sort of hold those truths together at the same time we really need to get comfortable with with that ambiguity in this moment
1: yeah if like the only thing you went off of was say like a gut check on on twitter it it would seem like the everything is awful and the world's falling apart
2: yeah thankfully Uh, and then
1: then you see um
2: and
1: then you see exit polls that show that for democrats like climate despite basically a media blackout on it was one of the top motivating factors and then you you can presume that that was concentrated among young people who turned out at like nearly 2018 explosive rates and and who went overwhelmingly for democrats so it does i i feel the same thing it does conflict with kind of the, your gut sense yeah and I yeah. I yeah the the idea that that the movement is in that phase of both success and and then a feeling of failure, the way that Moyers describes it, it actually eerily does kind of explain it pretty well.
2: Yeah, I really think so, and I also think that social media, in particular, I mean, maybe Twitter in particular, because different different sites have sort of different vibes, but but Twitter certainly has a, a, a very dark vibe, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's very easy to to see how the algorithms really just just to encourage like really negative takes mm-hmm. i think and 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 everything becomes moral outrage everything becomes a betrayal you know if things don't happen exactly how you want then then you know there's somebody to blame who has betrayed you and and i just think that the, all the nuance of the complexity of how things actually work in politics as and culture and just everything is it's really easy to lose in, in that context
1: Do you know what's next for you?
2: I don't. So uh, my kid was eight months old when we started Knock Down the House and um, now six. And it's been a... It's been a wild few years, so I am uh, very much look. And these projects overlapped, as I mentioned. So, um, so I'm very much looking forward to taking a breath. Um, we definitely are are gonna. It's a lot of work uh, getting an, an indie film out. So, um, so there's a lot of work through the release, and we're we're planning a, a huge impact campaign to make sure the film is available for, as I mentioned, community screenings and uh, movement building work and education. But I personally uh, need to take a minute to think about what my next project's going to be. So looking forward to that.
1: Well, the film is called To the End. Rachel Lears, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you so much, Ryan. And if I can just say the film is it came out in theaters on December 9th in over 120 120- cities around the country, and if you didn't catch it in the theater, it's available on other platforms, so please go to our website totheendfilm.com and see where you can check it out.
1: Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it.
1: You got it. Congratulations.
2: Thank you very much.
1: That was Rachel Lears, and that's our show, is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Laura Flynn is our supervising producer. The show was mixed by William Stanton. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Roger Hodge is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, DC Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash give, where your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please go and leave us a rating or a review. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us additional feedback, email us at podcasttheintercept.com. At Thanks so much. See you soon.
0: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
2: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.